We'll be in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Uh, Matthew's the first book um, in the New Testament. So Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Just so you know where you are, um, this is a part of Christ's covenant. This is our young adult gathering, our weekly gathering. And, uh, and we do this like every week of the year pretty much, bar a couple like at Christmas in the beginning of the year. And this started with like 10 or so people at Jason D's, who is our, our lead pastor, our founding pastor. When the church got started, he started a Bible study. And then the Bible study grew a little bit, and so there were like a few small groups, and then he would do like a large group teaching, and then I came on staff in 2020, and, uh, and we, then there were like, I don't know, eight or so small groups maybe, and then we would do like a large group teaching, and now there's 60 small groups. And so what you, and we're doing a large group teaching in worship, and so what you see, like the, the threads behind all of this are like the original fabric of what's happening. And so we just... We want this to be like a little bit mom and pop where we're like, oh, we know each other. Um, and we're super excited that, that, the, that more and more people are involved. But we just want you to know like kind of what this is. This is a, a large group gathering um, with small groups that are attached to it that's a part of a local church. And, uh, and we want to do biblical worship, biblical community, and biblical teaching. And that's, that's really what it is. So there's not like, if you want to peek behind the veil, you've just done it. That's, that's what's behind the veil. So let me, uh, let, me, let me jump right in tonight. Courtney read from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 24. It's an incredible passage. I'll be candid with you. It was um, really convicting for me to study this passage. And so I'm, I'm not standing in front of you as someone who has mastered what Jesus taught here. I'm, I'm kind of standing in front of you as a fellow traveler in this one. Um, I mean, I don't know that I've mastered anything that the Lord has taught us because I'm continually confessing sin and growing. And so, but this one in particular, like, I feel like I'm shoulder to shoulder with you and we're just trying to like, we're trying to do this. I'm gonna preach like a really short sermon because it's super convicting. And then we're just gonna sing again. It's going to be great. Um, preacher jokes, they didn't go well. All right. Um, so there's this, this, this treasure principle, and really it's a truth. And uh, a guy named James Smith said this. He says, you are what you love. And in his book, he says, not only are you, you are what you love, but you, what you love might not be exactly what you think. And I think there's something really, really profoundly deep about this passage that Jesus is, is showing us tonight. And, and he says in the middle of it, where your treasure is, it's actually where your heart is. And so this, this hits 
all of us this week and next week on worry. These are both like really, really daily things that we, we wrestle with. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, I do ask that as we've prayed, Lord, we ask one more time that you would speak to us. You would speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, that Lord, you would revive our hearts this Tuesday night. That you would be our vision, be our delight. Lord, we need you. We thank you that you give us a good word. May we hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I think that the heart is like a really tricky thing. Like our hearts are, are really, really tricky. Um, in the Old Testament, it says the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. And some people would say, well, you know, once you become a, a Christian, you can like, you can trust your heart. And I would say, sometimes, um, I, think it, I think it lies about as much as it tells the truth. Hearts are, hearts are tricky things. And so we, we Christians, here's what we believe. We believe that we were born with a bent to wander, if, if God is gonna be over here on my right-hand side of the stage, if that's what, figuratively, if that's where he is, we believe that we're born with this heart that has a bent to wander and wander away from God, not towards God. And that bent is what we would call the sinful nature. It's a normal part of the human condition, but it's actually not how God intended it. So from the beginning of time, God planned this rescue mission to get us uh, from, to keep us from wandering from him and bring us back to him because there's nothing we could do on our own. So this rescue mission involved him sending his son who lived a perfect, sinless life and then died in our place to satisfy the wrath of God on sin. And then he gives those who had this saving faith in Jesus the grace to, to begin walking with him and immediately stand blameless before God. And so, so here's, I'll just draw it for you. Let's draw. We haven't drawn in a couple of weeks. So here's, here's kind of the way it works. There's the, there's the cross. We'll put the cross in the middle and we'll do like, not OG, but old me, old me over here. And I am like walking away from God. Okay. That's the old me. I'm walking away, but Jesus, he redeems us. If we have that saving faith in him, his grace comes to us. And what happens is he brings us to himself, cleanses us of our sins. And now there is the new me, the new me, and I stand blameless before the Lord. The problem is, and that's why these passages are so, so important for us. The problem is the new me, I don't have a sin nature anymore. Like it's, it's been, the, like I'll just give you two, two verses. Galatians 2.20 and then 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that I, in Christ, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 says that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So on this side of the cross, after coming to Christ, I am a new person. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The new me still remembers old me. And not only does it still remember old me, but it's being bombarded by all these narratives that come to me. You've been bombarded with narratives your whole life. 
from commercials to toys at Christmas to classes you took in college, you've been bombarded with narratives your whole life. And so if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You have been crucified with Christ, but, but you still remember the old you and you also are influenced by all kinds of folks who have not yet become Christians or carnal Christians. And so I just want you to know, like, that's, this is why we do, this is why we meet, like, every Tuesday. This is why we have church every Sunday. This is why we have small groups and worship. Uh, I mean, this is why we sing songs. This is why we have the word read to us and taught, because we're, we're trying to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We're trying to remind ourselves of what this new life is, this new creation in Christ, because as soon as we walk away from here, if you're a part of a small group and you're here Tuesday night and you're in worship on Sunday, like, maybe you got sick. Six hours out of the week that you're like you're like getting poured into and taught the true better narrative of who you are in Christ, but that's a whole lot of hours elsewhere in the week that you are just getting crushed by all the other pressures. And so, so Romans six eleven I think is a beautiful reminder. It says, "So you must you mu- you also must consider." yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let us not therefore, uh, let, let not sin therefore reign in your moral bodies to make you obey its passions. I love that, that word there early on in that verse. We have to consider, we have to remind ourselves, we have to think about like, who am I in Christ? What is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? We, we consider what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount, when we, when we consider it, we realize, okay, what Jesus is telling me here about not laying up for myself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead laying up treasures in heaven, he's not calling me back to the old me. He's calling me into freedom. And so while some of his commands seem really, really punchy and hard, it's because he's calling us to, to be who we really are, a new creation meant to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Uh, there's a, a great little commentary on the Sermon on the Mount by a guy named Jonathan Pennington. I've got two of his quotes tonight. But he says that Jesus taught the test of our discipleship is whether we act on his teachings, whether we put into practice his words. This is what it means, and this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what it means to build our house on the rock. So if we really are new in Christ, then we'll heed these words and we'll say, Lord, make this true of me. And that's how we kind of prove our discipleship that we're born again, that we're in him, and we do it out of a heart of gratitude. So without further ado, Let's, let's look at this passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. So we'll start right here in, in verse 19, because that's the first one. Um, and so that's two that didn't land. Um, that's fine. All right. Sometimes when t- texts are like a little bit punchy and a little convicting, I kind of get in like nervous jokes. Let's just go. All right. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. This is really interesting. It's easy to to read a text like this and not see these first two words. But when you read a text like this, when you read read this this narrative, this discussion by Jesus, you you can't miss it because every word in the Bible counts. 
God doesn't use fillers. He's not a, a like, an um, a basically. Like he doesn't, he doesn't use those in sentences because he can't think of what to say. When he says do not, he means it. And so this is actually a command. This is not a suggestive passage. This is a, an imperative passage. Do not, it's this command. Do not, if you want to know the Greek word for do not, it's meh. Um, that's it. Uh, and so, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And so again, we know that this is a command that's like uncomfortable in our world, especially in the Western world, that idolizes comfort. We idolize storing things up and having more than we need in excess and all those things. We, we, I mean, we, we, we like not being able to pick out which Lulu to wear because we have so many. Like we love, we love this stuff, and so this is a little bit uncomfortable. We have to remember a verse I quote all the time, John, 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So actually, if you're into storing stuff up, you're actually into something burdensome. And, and Jesus is trying to free us um, and so uh, let's, I think you have to ask the question though, like what is, what is a treasure? This is, this is like a really big important thing. Um, you don't want to preach a passage and get done with it and say, yeah, but you never told me what that was. Um, and so this is so pivotal to the whole passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures. I think we have to ask like, what is a treasure? So if you'll just nerd out with me real quick, here it is. Here it is in Greek. This is the verse from the Greek. See? Meh. That's it. Do not. Now, this is, this is interesting. Even if you don't care about the original language, that's fine. But this is interesting. So that word meh is do not. And so it's giving a negative to this next word. And I don't know if you see, but this and this are the same root word. So um, this is uh, thesaurice. Uh, umen thesaurus. Huh? Interesting. The second one's thesaurus. Okay. So what this says is do not, do not collect collections. Now it reads really interesting. Jesus said, hey, don't, don't curate collections of things with your material wealth in your life. Don't, don't be somebody who's got like a whole pile, like baseball cards everywhere just for the sake of having baseball cards, comic books for the sake of having comic books. I, I used to love my baseball card collection. It was awesome. I would get the cards and I would open them up and then I would like organize them and then I would put them in the box and then I would put them under my bed and then I would get home from school and I would pull them out and they were still there. And I would like look through them again and then I would like put them up and I did that with comic books. I had so many comic books, so tons of comic I still have all those comic books. Um, and, uh, and so like, I, I mean, like I, I haven't seen them in a long time, but um, so like this is, this is what happens though, especially as you grow up and you start making money, you, you, become, you become this person who is a collector of collections. And I think that's, that's what we have to ask. Like, what, what, what is, what's so bad about that? So don't, don't be a collector of collections. And I think Jesus is saying, for you, don't, don't store a whole bunch of stuff up so that you have a whole bunch of stuff stored up. 
And if so, you're going against his command and you're actually inviting something burdensome in your life. And so I think you have to ask like, well, okay, so what is your collection? This is where I want you to start thinking with me here. What is your collection? What is your treasure? Um, what, what are you investing in? If you gave me your phone, I could tell you probably at least what a few of your treasures are. What's your screen time reveal? What, what are your treasures? Let me see your photos. Let me, see your, let me see that Amazon list, baby. Come on. Let's see what you've been ordering. Like, let me look through your, let me look through your Netflix history. Like, you're curating something. We're all collecting something. And, and I think you have to ask, like, I, I want you to be able to know, like, what is it? And so, again, that, the Pennington guy, he has, he has another interesting quote. It's a long quote. I'll read you a little bit of it, and, and part of it is going to be up on the screen. But he, he says, the logic of these verses is that there's really two ways to relate to money. One is to value it greatly because of the security and pleasure that it brings. We all, we've all heard of retail therapy. There is this sense of like security and pleasure that it brings to lay up treasures for yourself it's inherently attractive and even has the appearance of wisdom at times. But Jesus subverts this apparent human wisdom by appealing not to altruism, but to true spiritual divine revelation that all human money, here's the quote that I want you to see, all human money is susceptible to decay, loss, theft, destruction, and deterioration. And I love how he puts this. It is not a matter of if human treasures will eventually be lost. Somehow, but only a matter of when. And the other way of relating to money then is the wise way that results in flourishing. Look, we, we want to be good followers of Jesus, right? So, so we don't want to twist his words. And so I think we have to ask, does he say, okay, never be, be a minimalist, like never store up anything. And I think if you go to verse 20, you see, well, no, that's, he doesn't say that. He says, lay up, store up collections, have collections, but have them in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus says, actually, I think he says that the desire you have to be a curator, a collector, somebody who like gathers things, it's not totally bad. But again, you've been given this narrative of what that looks like. You've been given this narrative of what security is and how money ought to be spent and how you ought to, how you ought to collect stuff for you, how you ought to amass things. And I think Jesus is saying here, hey, hey, the desire's right. The carrying out of it is wrong, and it's been wrong for all of history. The problem is, it's crazy wrong now. Like, I mean, really, like how many, like how many clothing stores were they in, were there in Jesus' day, right? Like they made all this stuff. Like there couldn't have been a ton. So like now, like if you could, you, you could spend all your money before you got home if you wanted to. Um, and so I, I, I just let me just give a couple of practical thoughts here, though. Like, um, what, let me just tell you what isn't storing up treasures on earth, okay? Because this is this is important. Like, can you save money? You know, yes, you can save money. It's fine. You don't have to like, like having a little bit of money doesn't mean that you're like storing up treasures for yourself on earth. Um, 
if, you know, if you want to storm up for a rainy day, sure, that's fine. That's a matter of wisdom. Um, can, you, can you like save up to buy something more expensive later? I hope so, because I have, like, and I haven't, I haven't been struck down yet. Um, like, I hope so. But, but again, it's a matter of wisdom. Sometimes you can, and sometimes you shouldn't buy that thing. But let me, let me say this. Can you save too much? I think 100% you can save too much. Francis Chan, I love, I love old Francis. He, um, I don't know him, but I, I like it when he preaches. Um, and so he's a good author too. Um, but Francis and his friends, do you know what they did? They emptied their retirement. They all did. They went in together and said, you know what? We think we have too much, too much uh, of, our, of our hope and security is in what we have amassed. So they got rid of all their retirement. And they took this vow to each other. We will care for each other as we age. And they said, we think that's what we see in the New Testament. So let's do it. Hey, good for him. Nobody's offered that to me, so I'm keeping mine. <laughs> um, and so, look, the, I do think, though, the Bible gives us some really great insight into this idea of, like, not storing up for ourselves, but also storing up and what that looks like. So 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 10, it says this. If we have food and clothing, notice there's no roof involved in this one, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, that's having excess food, excess clothing. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, verse 10 is scary, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life. Remember, remember, you're new in Christ. You have a right standing with God. What we're doing here is, is, is recalibrating our inner person to remember who we are. So we need these verses. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I love that there's no qualifier on here. When Heather and I got married, I made $21,500 a year. Um, when I... When, uh, and I've told some of you that before, Heather made zero money per year and because uh, she was in school. I don't know why our parents let us get married, but they did. Um, so we got married, and, uh, and the following two years later, I went to work for another church, and they gave me this really impressive offer of $35,000 a year, and I was like, jackpot. <laughs> I was like, this dude, I'll buy you Red Lobster. Like, we were, I mean... I was living the dream, baby. Um, and so, so that's like, I mean, I, I, but I wish I had paid more attention to this because I was never content. It was this idea of like, it was this idea of, of man, if I just had a little more, then I would be content. And so you know what I did? I wasn't content, so I got that thing called a credit card. And I used that bad boy. Do you know how many years it took to pay it off because no, I, I, I just, I just thought this wasn't, this, this wasn't like applicable to me. I'll be content one day. But what the Lord is doing for us is inviting us in this moment 
to be content and to be settled. That, my friends, is freedom. That is not bondage. It's a whole different way to look at life. So how do we store up treasures in heaven? Um, Wayne Grudem has this really, really um, good book. It's called Christian Ethics, um, and he has a quote in here. He says, to spend in such a way that you turn money into good and services that we use and enjoy with thanksgiving to God. I love that. Spend in a way that brings God glory. That's one litmus test you could do on every purchase. Ask the question, am I storing up treasures for me or am I storing up treasures for the Lord for, for in heaven? So look, we, we, want to, we want to collect collections that we'll be able to see the investment for for all eternity. Do I, do I need that one more thing or can I take them to lunch instead? Can I give somebody a place to rest Can I send someone on a mission trip? Can I buy someone a Bible? These are very basic, incredibly applicable, and at the same time, life-changing ways to not add burden to your life by storing up treasure for you, because I promise you, the more things you have, the more things you gotta clean. The bigger the yard, the more grass to cut. So, this is terrible, let's keep going. All right, verse 21, so convicting. Um, <clears throat> verse 21, this, this is like the heart. If you notice on the, on, the, on the screen behind me, like verse 21 that I just circled, it's right in the middle of this passage. And Jesus says this zinger. It's not like he's not said enough already. Um, he says this, and this is just like, ouch. He says, look, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Look, treasure collecting takes so much energy, doesn't it? It costs so much money. It requires so much time. And and look, you've been hit by this like by 30 narrative. I didn't have this by 30 narrative. You you have this like by 30 narrative. By 30, you should be married, maybe have a kid or two, have a house, would be well on your way to to your retirement savings. Like you should, like you get hit with these narratives that are like, they're, I don't know where they come from. Hell, they come from hell, (laughs) the pits of hell. So, like, I mean, look, that's what I'm talking about. That may be the loudest anyone's ever been in a sermon. That's amazing for me. All right. So, I mean, really, you, you get hit with these narratives, and you get, you get indoctrinated with this idea. And so, so, so you start to amass all this, all this stuff to try to get there, or you try to amass all this stuff to, like, to say, I didn't need it anyway. I'm fine on my own. And regardless, you're, you're living this whole world of, like, storing up stuff for me. And, and Jordan Goldstein, one of our, our young adults who's on our lead team, um, she, she said the other night, look, uh, about this passage, she says, look, everybody wants to be known, everybody wants to be loved, everybody wants to be remembered, but only Jesus can give you that, really. So maybe you're, uh, look, maybe, let me go back to that line that James Smith said that I said at the beginning, like, um, you are what you love because your treasure, your collections, they reveal your heart. And what you love mirrors who you are. But he also said, but you might not love what you think. Perhaps, perhaps your treasure that you're currently collecting is like a 401k. All right? You're, you're collecting it and you're building it up. Or maybe it's like a, maybe it's, maybe it's, 
Maybe that's not you. There's something that we all like to collect, um, you know, money, security, knowledge, fashion. There's something that we like to collect. Um, but maybe what you're collecting isn't really, really, maybe, maybe, maybe that's, that's your, your little treasure you're collecting, but maybe that's not really what you love. Maybe what you really love is security. Maybe what you really love is notoriety. Maybe what you really love is some sort of like power or revenge or, um, or, or maybe, maybe you just really loved it if you were loved. So you collect these things in hopes that that, that that other thing that you really love will happen. And so your, your treasure, your treasure, where that is, your heart's right next to it. And your heart may not truly love that treasure, but the reason you have that treasure is because your heart does love something and it's longing to have it. Your, your collections, your treasures, they reveal this deep, deep truth about your identity, about your core. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not necessarily that your, your treasure, again, is what you, what you love, but that treasure does reflect it reflects your heart. It reflects your, your, who you are deep, deep down. And, and what we have to, again, remind ourselves of is the, the Lord is my provider. He offers that to me. The Lord is my, my confidence. He, he offers that to me. The Lord, the Lord sometimes withhold things from me because he knows if he gave me that, it would actually take me from him. I think one great question that you should ask if you have, if you have this, this battle in you of something you're really treasuring, something you're like collecting, how well does that treasure treasure you? How good of a job is it doing taking care of you? Because you're spending lots of time cultivating it. I love the song that we sang, Be Thou My Vision. If the Lord is my vision, Man, if he's my treasure, my treasure treasures me more than I treasure my treasure. Then Jesus gets into this like really, really interesting moment of, it almost seems like he shifts gears. In fact, some people take um, verses 22 and 23 out and they think that he's talking about something else and then he kind of comes back to it in verse 24. But uh, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so, I mean, like, there's intromission and, uh, and extromission. Um, and I don't think the, the first century world, the ancient world, really understood intromission. That's how we understand the eye. Like, I look out and I see you, a person, and, you know, then the light and your image comes back and it goes through my head and my head tells me there's so-and-so. I don't know that the first century world truly understood that. So I think what Jesus is talking about here is extromission. Extromission is viewed, um, it's viewed in literature like other organs. Think back one week ago to Valentine's Day. When I talk about like, when I send a text and I put the heart emoji on it, no one gets that and thinks, oh, what I sent him is helping the blood flow through his body and reaching his extremities. 
Like, no one thinks that, what, right? Because, like, that's just because the heart means I love. Thank you. I love that. I love you. Um, I love that thing. Like, that's what we mean. And so the eye is another one of those organs, and it represents something. And so what Jesus is actually quoting here is a common Jewish expression. Jews in the first century would say, that lady has a good eye. That man has a bad eye. What it meant if a person had a good eye is they were generous. And if a person had a bad eye, they were stingy. And so he, he's saying, he's saying, look, if the eye, is, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if the eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. You'll be generous. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. He says, if you are stingy, if you amass things for yourself, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Do you realize living out the first part of this command, not storing up treasures for ourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven actually reveals the condition of our heart. This is not just a good moral thing to be like generous. What Jesus is saying is how you read these, how you respond to this is actually a, a it actually exposes the deep condition of who you are at your core. And I, I think this is this is really, really important that there's something much deeper than someone who just practices philanthropy, generosity here. Jesus is saying that the flourishing life, which we learned in Matthew chapter five, when he said blessed, another word for that is flourishing, this blessed life, this flourishing life is one that results in a person who has a good eye. So let's just, let's just run this back real quick. If the eye is the lamp of the body, then the deepest parts of you are radiating up through your eye, according to this Jewish idiom. So a person whose core is good, a good eye, a healthy eye, a person whose core is good, they see everything differently. And they see things in light of eternity. They see they see money and houses and cars and clothes and, and trips and all the things. They see it all differently. And, and, and they see people differently. But if the core is corrupt way down deep, what comes out, what happens is we see the world from an incredibly selfish standpoint, let me take what I can get for me. That is the old self. That is not the self that has been crucified with Christ. The generosity in Jesus' eyes on the cross say it all. I actually like the King James Version in verse 22. It says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye, I like that. If therefore, I feel very Shakespearean. If thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. You know, the actual Greek word is single. 
for healthy or good, the actual Greek word is single. The idea of the flourishing life is, is one that sees the Lord above all else and has an eternal focus and therefore has a single aim in life. The person who has a single aim in life is actually living out Psalm 37, 4. They're not trying to amass all these collections of things to satisfy something deep down. What they're doing is they've realized that the Lord has set me free in Christ and therefore I will delight in him alone. I have this single focus. And when I delight in the Lord alone, he gives me new desires. Not gives me my desires. As I delight in him, he gives me new desires. He gives me his desires. And so as it radiates up through the eye, I see everything different because I have one focus. And it's the one who set me free. That's the freedom that the Lord offers us. We see things different and we see things through the heart of a God who did not withhold his own son. Who's more generous than that? Again, the eyes of Jesus on the cross, that generosity says it all. And so when we get to the last verse, verse 24, he says here, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So look at the first part. No one can serve two masters. Look at the last part. You cannot serve God and money. He says it twice. He's saying it twice because he knows that our hearts are real slippery. And you'll say, I love God. I love God, Thomas. I just have a couple of side hustles. I just got a couple of small little collections, but I love God. Did you know that you can't multitask? Did you know that's a thing? I didn't know that until a few years ago. And I looked up multitasking and sure enough, it doesn't exist. Did you know, now I'm not talking like breathing and like running or breathing and talking or something. Like I'm not talking about like, I'm not even talking about driving home. You can do a lot of stuff and drive home. Like I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like you really truly can't multitask two hard things at the same time. Two things that take cognitive ability, like work. You cannot do it. What you can do is you can shift your thoughts from one to the other. Some people can do it a lot quicker than others, women. And like, and so like, and some people can't, men. And so like, like, you can't, really, you can't really multitask. You can just shift from one to the other, one to the other, one to the other. And here's the problem. God says, you, you can't multitask with him. You, you, you can't love him like with all you got and something else. It's like you, you can't. And you can't love amassing things and him at the same time. You can't. I have lived this out as I've prepped for this sermon, and it's like, it has plagued me. I'm like, I get distracted by something of this world, and I'm like not thinking about the sermon. And it was so frustrating, because I'm like, this is me, I'm trying to do this. And he's right, you can't. I love what... What, I mean, like, this is like not a one and done. We have to put this on repeat. This is like part of our daily Christian living. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jen Wilkins says, I love this line from Jen. She says, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And your mind knows a lot of things from this world, a lot of narratives. 
Again, that's why we meet on every Tuesday. That's why we have small groups. That's why we meet every Sunday because we want, we want to re-inform our minds of the true, the truer truth, the truest true of who the Lord is and what lies in store for those who love him. And we want to, we want to, to, to cultivate this delighting in the Lord alone with a single aim so that he radiates up out of us and we see everything differently. In John 17, before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed this prayer. He said, he spoke these words. He lifted his eyes to heaven and he said this prayer, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. You've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what is your treasure? What are you collecting? You know, all treasure actually costs all that you have. You will spend your life collecting something. What's going to be the return on that investment? Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to give us this word, and it is a hard word, and only by your grace can we live this out. And at the same time, Lord, I thank you that you call us to freedom, and you release us from bondage. You are so good, so kind to us, Lord. Lord, in this moment, would you convict us and at the same time stir up a great affection for you and Lord help us to realize how many times the treasures of this world have let us down may we Lord delight in you and have a single focus and as we do Lord may we have a good eye because our eye comes from you where we see everything different in light of the cross of Jesus would you move in this place it's in your powerful name we pray amen